Celebrating the connection with our pets, this is Animal Radio, featuring veterinarian Dr. Debbie White, groomer Joey Villani, news director Lori Brooks. And now, from the Red Barn Studios, here are your hosts, Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. Oh, if you could see the smile on Dr. Debbie's face right now. Uh, last week, she was so deathly ill. She was sick. She had a horrible cold. She came into the studio, and uh, she's recovered. But now we all have it, except uh, except Lori. She doesn't have it. I, I have no joy in your misery. I'm so sorry. But I, I feel bad, because then it rolled into my seasonal allergies, so I'm still kind of fighting some funk here. So I feel Oof. bad for you guys. Okay. Get, get a lot of sleep. That's the best thing I can tell you. And do not do a high-altitude drive like I did when your ears will pop and not close. Okay. Uh, Well, I'll stay away from it. I'm going to go to bed as soon as this show is over. I know it just started. So I'm going to ask listeners, please bear with me and my voice today, and the same with uh, Joey Volani. And Judy, you're just starting to get this? Is I, that... Yeah, I'm on the cusp of getting it. Yeah, I'm fighting it. I'm going to fight it. And Lori, of course, who's protected away in a news booth, has uh, not gotten it yet. She's doing With fun. a surgical mask on. <laughs> <laughs> the beauty is... That you... I stole from Dr. Debbie's office. Yeah, I was wondering where you got that. The beauty of it is you can still ask Dr. Debbie and Joey Villani your questions, and you don't have to be worried about being exposed to our sickness, okay? And that's happening from the free Animal Radio app for iPhone, Android, and BlackBerry. What do you have coming up today, Lori? Um, some states are, are getting really strict, very tough on people who abuse animals. And they're also uh, dramatically changing their list of what they view as pets or animals. It's not just dogs and cats and things anymore. This case involves a man who they say abused a fish. Big time, different world. You, you said a fish, right? I said a fish. Oh, yeah. Okay. I cannot wait for that story. Dr. Debbie, are you ready to go to the phones? I sure am. I am ready. Hi, Troy. Hi. What's going on? I got a pit bull terrier, and she seems like she has like a lot of anxiety for some reason. What kind of behaviors is she showing you? Well, like she'll like try to tear up stuff in the house while we're gone. So she's um, being destructive. Is she having accidents in the house, peeing, pooping? No, no, no. Nothing like that. Okay. Like if we yeah. like if we lay something on on the counter, coffee or something like paper, and she finds paper, she'll shred it up. Okay. Okay. All right. And then anything as far as like does she chew on beds? Does she no, chew no, on walls? Like that. Okay. No. All right. Well, you sound like you have a little troublesome child there. <laughs> so when you um, first got this puppy, can I ask you how? What kind of training method do you use for house training? I, well, when we first got her, we just, uh, she went, when I first took her outside to go, she'd go outside, no problem. Then after that, she just go to the door whenever she wanted to go outside. Okay. So she was pretty much just, you know, you took her outdoors, gave her praise, yeah. and then was she restricted in the house at all during this process, no, no. or did she have free reign? Free range in my house. Okay. All right. Well, um, the reason I ask that is because when we have puppies, there's, a great method called crate training that we utilize for a couple different reasons. One is for the benefit of house training purposes because it helps um, pets to limit their activity and their um, their area that they're um, allowed to roam in the home. Um, and then it teaches them to hold their um, elimination needs um, until we take them out of the, the crate and then they go outdoors. Um, so that's the one benefit of crate training. The other benefit is that it teaches them comfort in being confined into an area without having anxiety and fear. 
Um, and that can be a really important thing for any dog owner to develop, even if your pet is really good and really sound with house training. To have an animal that can be restrained in a crate is good for travel purposes, is good for potential housing, boarding situations, but also it's helpful if we run into problems where we have um, destructive tendencies. Um, okay. So the hard the hard thing is that you have a very energetic young dog, and a lot of larger breed dogs are really puppies until about a year and a half to two years of age. So even though she may have things like the house training down, she's still got the mind of an infant. <laughs> so that yeah. means when we're left unattended, it's like, ooh, what can I do? I'm looking for something to do. I'm bored. Um, so that's where if we were crate trained, that's a really great advantage because then it eliminates that opportunity because there's a reward center in the brain that kind of lights up when a dog does something and gets some enjoyment out of that. That may be shredding things. That may be barking at people running by. That may be eating things, um, getting things off of counters um, or out of the garbage can that they shouldn't. So that really can be a self-rewarding behavior, which can be a problem because you can't be there to discipline them and say, don't do that. So, oh, yeah. um, so crate training, if that's something that we can facilitate, may help you with all of the other steps. Okay. That we can do look at doing, but that's not the only thing I want you to do. I'm not going to tell you just lock your dog up. That's not yeah. going to be the solution. The things that we want to do for a young dog is I want to burn their candle down. So um, the most important thing you can do is to exhaust this dog as much as possible every day, um, and that just takes some of the energy down so that we have less tendency for her to want to be destructive. And then the next thing is really set her up to succeed. So that means if you aren't going to be confining her in a crate that we do a basic toddler search through the house. We make sure there's no food items down, that garbage is secured behind a locking cabinet, um, that we have access to certain rooms closed off if there's a risk that we can't secure that room for a puppy, um, and really make those efforts to not leave an opportunity for her to, to fail. Um, okay. The, the leaving of the home, so there's, there's dogs that have separation anxiety and the dogs that are just bored and destructive. And I think for your situation, that would be something we still have to flesh out and, dis and discover. Dogs that have separation anxiety have true anxiety problems. It's a behavioral problem. Um, and that's usually manifest within the first 15 minutes of our departure. Um, they bark, um, they eliminate, they may become destructive. Um, other dogs, if the destruction happens later, that may mean we just have a bored dog. So one thing you can do is set up a little camera and see when this type of problem happens. And that helps you kind of gauge the level of uh, approach of how you need to address this. Um, so for me, as far as for training a dog not to do those things, it's really to eliminate those opportunities and then to teach them uh, limits and boundaries. And those can be done different ways. Um, some people use things like uh, noise cans, like coins and cans, squirt guns, things like that. Um, there are different strategies as far as things like scat mats, which are little static mats that you can put on countertops, and that helps okay. to keep uh, cats or dogs from jumping onto countertops um, if there's something up in that area. And it's it's a mild um, negative, uh, uh, you know, sensation. It's kind of like uh, touching a, a light switch when you have staticky fingers, um, yeah. and that can help as a way to kind of safeguard some of those areas and train when you're not around. Um, and then a lot of it is, do you also have her in an obedience class? No, not yet. 
Okay, definitely. Let's do that. Because I think any puppy really ought to be in an obedience class. And that's ideally done before they're up to her age. I'd like to see puppies in classes when they're in that golden period of learning, which is between eight weeks and 16 or 16 to 20 weeks. Um, But still, get her in something like that. That'll help teach her things like focus, listening to you. And it also is mentally draining. My dogs come home from uh, obedience class. They are exhausted more than when I run them out at the park and they're chasing balls. Um, So it really goes a long way if you get her into some kind of activity like that as well. Okay. All right. So you got your your homework for you there. So I want to have a follow-up call and and let me know how some of these efforts are going for you. Oh, that'll, that'll work. Okay. Well, fabulous. Thank you so much, Troy. And give that baby a good kiss and a pat on the back for us. Thank you for calling. This is Dr. Debbie. If you have a question you want from me, give me a call. Well, I'm delighted to tell you this portion of Animal Radio is brought to you by Red Barn. Now listen up. In just a couple of seconds, I'm going to give you a promo code to save 10% off your next purchase. Now these guys not only support Animal Radio, they're now in the kibble business. And I'm looking at the side of the package with the ingredients. The first five ingredients feature real animal protein. That's how you know it's good. It's going to satisfy your dog's carnivore cravings. That's because your dog, well, they love meat. And these guys, Red Barn, they love your dog. Now get ready to save 10%. Just use the promo code ANIMALRADIO and you'll get 10% off your purchase. Ladybug, the studio stunt dog, loves their treats. She'll play with them for about a half hour or so before she eats it. They make a great chew bone and they're just one of the great products that Red Barn makes. And you could get 10% off anything Red Barn has over at their website at redbarn.com. Just put in the promo code ANIMALRADIO and you'll get 10% off your purchase. And thanks, Red Barn, for underwriting Animal Radio. Hey, it's Alan Cable with another dog tip. I go to the dog park a lot. Sometimes I even bring my dog. And I see people there communicating with their dogs like they would another person. Talking to them like they're human. There's nothing wrong with that, but just so you know, your dog has no idea what you're saying. Your dog will never learn how to speak or act like a human, but you can definitely learn to speak dog. Your dog watches you a lot. He's studying your body language. Do you carry yourself like a strong, confident, and compact leader? Or do you get frazzled easily? Your dog is very sensitive to your state of mind. Dogs are always trying to find their place to find themselves within a pack. If you're a strong, confident, secure pack leader, you make that job a lot easier for your dog. So your dog will be much calmer. We've all seen the dogs at the park that are barking constantly and acting like nervous wrecks. That's because they are. Most of the time, dogs like that have been forced into the position of being the pack leader. And that's just not comfortable for them. They need you to step up and be the pack leader. And how do you do that? Well, by learning to speak dog. Your dog watches what you do. He's not concerned with your words. So if he enters the house first, he's in charge. If he walks ahead of you on a leash, he's in charge. If he disrespects your space or other folks and jumps on you, he's in charge. If you let him bark like crazy and run amok, he's in charge. The question is, how do you become the pack leader? It all starts with leash training and knowing how to give your dog a correction and only praising for the desired behavior. When he doesn't, you ignore him or you correct him. What is a correction? Pretty much it's like a tap on the shoulder. You're redirecting the dog's attention, putting him in the frame of mind you want him to be in. It's really important that you walk your dog, get all that energy out. It'll make him calmer and easier for you to train. You want him to walk at your side or behind you, not in front. Let your arm be relaxed down at your side. No tension. With a little slack so that you can flick your wrist when you need to and cause a correction. Of course, you're going to need a choke chain or something similar. You might have to correct him many times 
times before he gets the idea he needs to walk right by your leg and not pull. But he will get the idea. Use the heel command a lot. Just that one word. Just be consistent. Don't lose your patience. Be calm. The old way of living with diabetes is a pain. You've got to remember to do your testing, and you always need to be sticking your fingers. The new way to live your life with diabetes is with a continuous glucose monitor. You simply apply a discreet, easy-to-use sensor on your body, and it continuously monitors your glucose levels, helping you spend more time in range and freeing you from painful finger pricks. If you test your blood sugar at least four times per day and inject insulin at least three times per day or use an insulin pump and have private insurance, or Medicare, you might be eligible for a CGM with little or no cost to you. Call U.S. Medical Supply today for a free benefits check. We offer free shipping, 90-day supplies, and we bill Medicare or your insurance directly. Call now and say goodbye to finger pricks. 800-785-1673. 800-785-1673. That's 800-785-1673. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. It's Animal Radio. I told Joey that we were going to have a guest on that's going to be talking about puppy laundering. And I had to explain to him that this has nothing to do with cleaning your pets or grooming or anything like that. (laughs) This is actually puppy laundering like money laundering. And uh, we have a guest on who will tell us a little bit about it. Just a few minutes right here on Animal Radio. Excuse the voice. We're all a little bit sick and a little bit under the weather. (laughs) (laughs) You sound like you have a frog in your throat. Need it. Uh, Lori, what do you have coming up? Um, if you've always wanted to work with animals, and I think we all have had that dream at one time or another, there are five fields that have been um, named as those that pay above at least $56,000 a year, and they're all animal-related. And uh, just to be clear, we'll tell you right now, animal radio hosts, nowhere on that list. <laughs> not, even yeah. not, not even close. Yeah. yeah, we don't qualify for the fifty-six salary yeah. a year. No, we sure don't. Uh, Joey. What do you have coming up today? I got the quarterly report. Okay, it's time to take care of your pets, get them ready for the new season. We'll talk about that. I would guess that getting them ready for summer is probably the most important of all the seasonal changes. Because, I mean, Um, the heat is deadly. You know, listen, if you're living in southern Florida and you got a northern breed, you got a husky, make sure that dog is, you know, well, you know, groomed and, and get that undercoat out and watered, of course. But don't shave it. And he'll tell you Don't why. Don't shave it. You're making a mistake. Hi, Maria. Hi. How are you doing? Hi, Maria. All right. Um, I have a question. I have a 13-year-old Papillon. We've never boarded him. And I went and checked out the boarding place. And I'm worried that he's real nervous. What are some of the things okay. that I should do? Oh, great question. I mean, because I think a lot of people go through this type of thing. How How is his general demeanor? How does he do in new situations around new people? Um, he's just—he's very nervous. If he sneezes, he'll shake. <laughs> oh no! And the the, the the kennel that I looked at, they board like big dogs, like huskies and stuff. Mm-hmm. So my concern is, you know, he's so old and he's got cataracts and that kind of stuff, and they have an open area. What are some of the things that I should kind of tell the guy? 
Okay, very good. Now, a couple things that I would certainly recommend. One is if we have a way to have a, what they would call a quiet room, um, I would prefer that for him. Um, some kennels, they have a kind of a group area where big dogs and small dogs are all housed together, and that really can be a little in- intimidating for small dogs. So I prefer them to be actually housed separately if possible. Now, one thing I would do is I'd suggest um, basically a dry run ahead of time. And basically, um, we do this here at my office where if we have a new boarder where they're not really familiar with the situation, the building, I like to have them come in and have them spend a few hours at the office where they get to the familiarity, where the, where the pets walk, um, meet the people in the kennel care situation, because that really helps to build a relationship for the pet and helps them to kind of feel a little bit more at ease. So um, I would see if they might do a day boarding situation for you there. And um, is your doggy, is um, your dog kennel trained or crate trained? He's crate trained, and I was going to take the crate so that he'd have a safe place to go. <laughs> yeah, and you'll you know definitely have to kind of follow with whatever rules they have. But if you're allowed to bring those items, anything that helps to make him feel more comfortable and more at home. Um, and I try to also make sure we stick to schedules and find out what the kennel schedule is. When do they feed? When do they walk? And if possible, make sure your schedule is kind of close to that. So if we keep up those repetitions, we know this time is where we're going to go for a potty walk. We're going to get food at this time. Um, that is a little bit more uh, makes it a little bit easier transition for the individual pet when they're kind of put in this kind of noisy, scary situation. Um, and some dogs thrive on it. And, you know, you'd be surprised. Some dogs just really, they love the group interaction. They hear the other dogs barking, and they really can have a good time with it. Um, one other thing you might try, and we can certainly, um, you know, I'm a big fan of using pheromones, and this is an indication where we can use a, a collar that has the scent hormone or pheromone impregnated in it, and it basically helps to release a calming hormone uh, for the individual pet and uh, that might help to make a transition in this new environment so uh, and give that a whirl as well where would i find one of those at you can find a collar like that a pheromone collar pretty much at any uh, pet stores um any major pet stores and then as well as at your veterinary office so uh i'd uh give that a whirl okay well thank you very much Okay, I hope that boring visit goes well. This is Dr. Debbie with Animal Radio. Do you have a dog or a cat or a bird? Give us a call. This is Animal Radio, baby. Dogs or cats, horse or emu, animals are people too. Des Moines resident Clarence Fenton was recently charged with driving under the influence of drugs. His dog's drugs. He's still not exactly sure what happened. Authorities say the phenobarbital that was in his bloodstream when he crashed into a utility pole with his car had been prescribed by a vet. 47-year-old Fenton said he took what he thought were the doctor-prescribed antidepressants when police reports show his car hit the pole. His blood work showed that Fenton had actually taken seizure control pills prescribed for his dog Saturn. Tammy Noble of the Poison Control Center said the story is more common than you'd think. She said they've had three cases this year. People often take their pet's heartworm medication. Ooh, This would be a good time to remind you to read the labels of any medication you're taking. I'm Britt Savage for Animal Radio. Animals are people too. Animal Radio. Hey, don't forget, you can get your fix of Animal Radio anytime you want with the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Download it now. It's made possible by Fear Free Pets.
taking the pet out of petrified. Visit them at fearfreehappyhomes.com. Holy education! Hi, this is Burt Ward, Robin from the TV series Batman. You've got to keep listening to Animal Radio. Wowie zowie. They've got the best information. It's so entertaining. To the Batmobile citizens! The old way of living with diabetes is a pain. You've got to remember to do your testing, and you always need to be sticking your fingers. The new way to live your life with diabetes is with a continuous glucose monitor. You simply apply a discreet, easy-to-use sensor on your body, and it continuously monitors your glucose levels, helping you spend more time in range and freeing you from painful finger pricks. If you test your blood sugar at least four times per day and inject insulin at least three times per day or use an insulin pump and have private insurance or Medicare, you might be eligible for a CGM with little or no cost to you. Call U.S. Medical Supply today for a free benefits check. We offer free shipping, 90-day supplies, and we bill Medicare or your insurance directly. Call now and say goodbye to finger pricks. 800-785-1673. 800-785-1673. That's 800-785-1673. Hey folks, this is Jackson Galaxy. You're listening to Animal Radio. Please do everyone a favor, spay or neuter your animals today. This is an Animal Radio News Update. And I'm Lori Brooks. If you've always wanted to work with animals, and who didn't, especially, you know, when you were younger and, well, if you still do, CNBC, one of the business channels, combed through a lot of data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics to identify those occupations that are decent paying, maybe paying workers more than $56,000 a year, but also involve lots of time with animals. But sadly, only five jobs they came up with made this cut. So if you would rather spend your days in the company of coworkers who do not gossip or complain about you to the boss, <laughs> then uh, you might you might consider some of these jobs, okay? And it's probably no surprise that veterinarians among these five jobs are the highest paid of these workers with a median yearly salary of $90,000. But the really good thing about being a vet now is the job growth in the field is projected to be 19% over the next seven years. So... That's pretty good if you want to go into that field and have eight years to go to school. Uh, zoologists and wildlife biologists also make the list with a median annual pay of about $62,000 for studying animals and other wildlife to learn how they interact with their ecosystems. Farmers, ranchers, and agricultural managers, they make around $69,000 a year, but the projected growth in those fields is really pretty slow over the next decade. Animal scientists earn about sixty grand a year. They research different ways to improve the safety and efficiency of agricultural practices relating to farm animals, and also they study uh, their animals in their field, their genetics, their nutrition and reproduction, as well as animal diseases that they could come up with. And uh, the fifth listed occupation here is fishing game wardens. Now, they have a median annual salary of $56,000. That was the bottom to qualify to get on this list. But they patrol fishing and hunting areas to ensure people are complying with the law 
law. And those who work at a federal level, those are, are more often called federal wildlife officers. And if you want to become one of those, there's more pay, but you will typically need a bachelor's degree in some kind of a related field like wildlife science, maybe biology, or some kind of natural resources management. That will help you get into that field. There's a man down in North Carolina who has been charged with abandoning a pet fish that police say he left behind without food when he was evicted. Kind of, It's kind of unusual, you got to say, you know, but times are changing and how we think about animals is so much different than it used to be. This man was 53 years old. He was charged with one count of abandonment of an animal and three counts of misdemeanor cruelty because this fish named Oscar was found in very poor health and in a dirty tank. Oscar, big fish, six inches long to be in an aquarium, is being nursed back to health now at an aquarium store. And some of the officials said it is the first time in that county in North Carolina that they have charged somebody with this for a fish, but they likened it. And this is a big step forward to, you know, it's a life. It's like a cat or a dog to them. And finally, Animal Care Centers of New York City has put up uh, an adoption notice for a black and white cat in their custody. His name is Barsick. He tips the scales at 41 pounds. That's about four cats. That's a he's wow. huge. Yeah. It, I mean, you can't Imagine continue feeding that cat and think, gee, I, I know this. I'm not doing you the best that I could. But uh, Barsick is really big. At first, his living quarters with the uh, agency had to be a staff office because he was just far too big to be put in one of the shelter's cages. And then luckily they said that last week he and his sibling, who were both turned in together because their family was moving, um, they moved Barsic and his sibling to a foster home that is run by a volunteer from a rescue in Manhattan. So they're going to concentrate on getting his weight down a lot. I once uh, worked on a 30-pound cat. It wasn't an overweight cat. It was a big cat. It was scary because it was good, but when he didn't like things, he would grab you, <laughs> and you felt the claws, but the claws, he would put them in, uh, you know, where he was just wanting you, and you knew. You're like, okay, well, it's time to back <laughs> I'm Lori Brooks. Get more breaking animal news anytime at AnimalRadio.com. This has been an Animal Radio News Update. Get more at AnimalRadio.com. Check out Animal Radio highlights. All the good stuff without the blah, blah, blah. Browse on over to AnimalRadio.pet. Hey, if you want to talk to the dog father, he always gives a, gives us a tip each week. Uh, much to the chagrin of many of his peers because, well, frankly, he gives us tips that, uh, you know, save us a little money. Keep us from going to the groomers. But that's okay, Right. <laughs> you actually love it. <laughs> you're in a, the groomer protection program. Not a lot of people know that, uh, but you, you know, it's it's it, it's funny. Um, um, Inside Edition actually called me this morning, and um, they're looking to do something um, with me, talking about the groomer. So yeah, you're right. I am on the um, <laughs> I'm on the groomer's um, hit list sometimes. You know, I'm gonna go into witness protection. Is right. Yeah. Um, now you sound like me today. You yeah. sound a little under the weather. We're, we're, this is, I guess it was two weeks ago, Dr. Debbie came into the studio all sick, and now we all have it. So I don't. Yeah. Ooh. Well, you've been taking your airborne. And you actually have, <laughs> not a lot of people know this, but the way the studio is set up, you have your own private little cubby space. So maybe yeah. you weren't as exposed to it as we were. I want one of those. Yeah. I want to get away from you guys, because <laughs> I feel like I'm getting it next. Uh, 
So what's going on this week, Joey? Well, it's that time of the year. Um, it's time to get your dog ready. Um, you know, I, I try to do this um, quarterly. Um, get your pet ready for spring and summer. Um, if you are the quarterly groomer where you don't have your pets groomed every four to six weeks, um, you at least got to get it ready for the se- the change of the season, which most of the country deals with, I think, except for maybe, you know, California and Southern Florida, um, everyone has some sort of season that we that we change with. Um, so it's really important that you get the dogs that need to get that matted coat off. We get that off before the blazing sun, before they get sunburned and they get a little bit of coat growth and get that shedding hair, get it out, okay, whether you do it at home or you do it with a professional groomer and have it done, get it out and have it to be a working coat because as it gets warmer, a lot of people don't realize that coat in a lot of situations, by leaving coat on a dog, in most cases, keeps them cooler than taking it off. And, you know, we've always had a lot of clients that always wanted to say, you know, shave my dog down because they're too hot. And, and it doesn't work that way. Um, you know, um, How does our, it work? Our, our, because this has always puzzled me. Well... Dogs and most animals, it's like putting a pair of shorts on and a pair of long pants, okay? So in the wintertime, what ends up happening is a dog that has a double coat will grow um, a thicker undercoat and the top coat. Now, the undercoat is cottony, and the top coat is, is straight and coarse. So Okay, what, what kind of dog has does, that kind of coat? Most of your wire-coated terriers. Um, okay. And all your northern breeds like Huskies, Samoids, even Chow Chows, um, okay. you know, it's those dogs that have, and you could feel it. If you don't know, just grab hold of your dog's coat. If you can, if it's not long and flowing like an Afghan or Shih Tzu or something like that, and, and it's short and it's dense, I can almost guarantee that's a double-coated dog. And, and if a bunch of hair comes off on your hand, because those single long-coated dogs, they don't shed crazy. But those double-coated dogs, you're going to have hair everywhere now. That being said, picture a pillowcase. If um, I ripped open my pillowcase, I'd have all those down feathers all over the floor. But those down feathers is really what keeps your head warm or cool at night. And, of course, it's soft. With a pillowcase, is protection. So the top coat is protection from the elements. It's protection from rain. It's protection from dirt. It's protection from snow. Okay, but... When you don't get that undercoat out after a while and people say, well, dogs can't brush themselves in a while, you're right. But they're running through the brush, um, which is naturally de-shedding them because it's taking out that coat that when they're laying on a couch, it doesn't happen except it goes on your couch, but not enough of it comes out. What a brush and comb does, it acts like the, um, the bushes. It acts like the trees. It acts like the shrubbery that takes it out. It mats up and falls off. But domesticated dogs, they need help. So what ends up happening is if I don't get that coat out and it's warm, it holds the heat in because now it's not letting it out. What about those people who, who say, because I had uh, a couple of chows in my way younger days, and a vet told me I had to have one of them shaved because of he had been in the shelter and was in very poor condition. But when you have those dogs like huskies and, and chows and stuff that have those really thick coats, are you saying that you should not shave them? 
You shouldn't have in never the summertime. Never, um, and 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 for two reasons. Number one, what shaving does is it changes the growth pattern of coat. Okay, so now when it grows back, and I don't know if you've ever seen this before, where you have a, a shedding type dog and you shave it down, and when it grows back, it doesn't look right anymore. It almost looks very cottony. Um, they lose that coarse texture. Now, can you bring it back? In most cases, you can. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of brushing, combing, carding. Um, and even stripping with knives, this is all professional terms. So you don't want to shave them down. You just want to get out most, not all the undercoat, most of the undercoat. You want it to be able to breathe. You want it to be able to work. You want that top coat to protect it from the elements, but you want to be able to release the heat. And then in the wintertime, you're going to leave a little bit more excess undercoat because that's going to keep the heat down at the skin. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Hello, this is Dr. Paul on Animal Radio. Take care of the pets and make sure that in these hot days that they get in lots of water and don't tie them outside in the sun because then they get a heat stroke. Your dog loves meat. That's why they'll love the new line of Red Barn Dry Dog Food. The first five ingredients in each Red Barn recipe are meat, fish, or poultry. Sure to satisfy your dog's carnivore cravings. The added functional ingredients make Red Barn Dry Dog Foods the perfectly balanced meal for your best friend. Available in land, ocean, and sky recipes. Your dog loves meat. We love your dog. Head to redbarn.com to use the promo Animal Radio for 10% off your first bag. Hi, Joanne Worley on Animal Radio. Hello! And please spay and neuter your pets. Be a responsible pet owner. As a matter of fact, spay and neuter your friend's pets also. Give it to them as a present. What a good idea. Live at the Red Barn Studios, you're listening to Animal Radio. Here's Hal and Judy. So my big question, Dr. Debbie, is can my cat or my dog get my cold? No, they can't. So no matter how much I breathe in their face? No, your cat or your dog cannot get your cold. Now, why is that? It's a human virus, uh, you know, so dogs and cats have their own type of upper respiratory viruses and bacteria, but um, the human cold does not get passed to a dog or cat. Now, if you had a ferret in your household, I would advise you to wear a mask or stay away from your ferret because they can catch our colds and or our flu. Wow. Um, so wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's, that's strange. Yeah. Why only ferrets? And are there other animals besides ferrets? Uh, those are the ones that in in my practice um I, I can't speak for like larger animals or wildlife but, <laughs> but but yeah so no don't worry about you know now granted uh, anytime you're like sneezing and you know wiping your nose and things like that i think sanitation goes both ways before you touch your animal you should wash your hands um just as if your pet was sick and you were handling them you would wash your hands before you would eat or you know, touch yourself in the face things like that hey cheryl how are you doing I'm doing great. How are you today? Good. I have Dr. Debbie here. What's going on? Hi. I have a toy poodle. She's eight years old. And when she gets really excited, she starts, like, coughing or whatever, choking, kind of a <laughs> kind of sound. And okay. lately, she's been doing it more and more. Like, when she gets excited, um, she'll just keep coughing and choking. And I don't know if something's wrong or if, as they get older, they continue to do that. And sometimes mm-hmm. even at night, it's almost like she's snoring or something. She's like, <clears throat> <clears throat> while she's sleeping. 
So okay. is something wrong or is that normal for toy poodles? Well, it kind of depends. There's um, there's a little distinction in the sound that we're going to have to see if we can make. And it's going to be a little challenging on radio because, you know, you can't see me and I can't see you. Um, now, this sound that she's doing, it, does it sound like she's about to cough up a hairball? Or yes, does it... actually, when she does it, she has to kind of like choke and like, like she's dry heaving, you know, like okay. she's going to throw up, but nothing comes out. And then okay. she's okay for a few minutes, and then she gets excited again and starts doing it again. That's okay. how she stops doing it is after she does that, like, dry heave. Okay. Because the, the questions I'd have is whether we're making a sound kind of like a, like we're trying to cough something up, or if we have more like what we call the reverse sneezing sound, which is really cool. It freaks a lot of people out, and I get many an emergency call about it. It's kind of more of a, a vibrational sound. It looks like an asthma attack, kind of like a... Yes, yeah, like a croupy cough almost. Ow, that, the second thing I mentioned is not really a cough so much as it sounds like they're trying to blow something in through their nostrils. Or uh, So it's not really a cough. Cough is on the exhale. This other sound, reverse sneezing, is on the inhale. So it kind of looks like they're really stiff, sticking their neck out in their vibration, vi- uh, vibrational. Um, so it's not really a cough. After a reverse sneeze, there's not really a gag or any kind of retching. It just kind of happens, and then it passes after a few minutes. So I guess I'm still not clear which situation your baby might be in, but she, I would say... She does that retching thing afterwards. She does. Okay. So yeah. I'm going to call your situation more of a kind of a cough with kind of a gag or a retch. So in that situation, in a toy breed dog, it, it isn't unusual but I'm not going to call it normal. Um, the difference is because um, there are some small breed dogs that have problems with their trachea, where they have kind of a weak spot in their trachea, and it collapses, and it can easily lead to a coughing bout in these guys. Um, so that is a possibility. Now, the other things that we look at, bronchitis, heart disease, are, are also very common in poodles. So um, my best re- recommendation and the best way that I can help figure that out is to get an x-ray. Um, to see if we've got concerns with heart size or with this collapsing trachea, which many times we'll see it on an x-ray, and it just looks like a straw flattened out. When they're sucking in air, it just collapses, and they really can't get a good breath of air, uh, and that causes a, a coughing response as well as other things with time. So that would be my first recommendation. Um, definitely before I would recommend um, you know, any kind of medications. Um, although the other thing we'll talk about is weight. And if we have any problem with excessive weight, respiratory problems in general can benefit greatly if we get slimmed down into, into a good, healthy weight. Um, yeah, she's only like nine pounds, so she's not, I don't okay. think she's overweight. No, sounds like she's quite petite, and that's exactly how those little gals are supposed to be. Um, But yeah, I'd say for peace of mind, I would definitely, you know, call your veterinarian. I'd get a chest x-ray. That would be the simplest thing, and, um, you know, maybe nothing's going on. Maybe we need to see see about treating some airway disease, and uh, collapsing trachea is, in many cases, not serious. But in some cases, it can lead to a very severe respiratory uh, emergency. So it's better to know your information ahead of time. Okay, just try to keep her calm until I get her in there then. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, if she's nice and pink, she's not showing any uh, problems, uh, you know, recovering after these episodes, then, um, you know, certainly uh, that kind of helps you gauge how fast you need to get into the vet. Um, But, yeah, I'd say as soon as possible. I I would uh, just recommend it for the peace of mind. 
Okay, I'll do that. I'll, I'll make an appointment and get her in for a chest X-ray then. Best wishes with you, Cheryl, and, and give your good baby a little pat on the head for us. Okay, this is Dr. I will. Debbie. Thank you so much. Okay, All right, bye-bye. thanks for your call. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Hey, everybody, this is Brett Michaels, and I just want to say you, right now, want to take, wait, give me the line again. My brain skipped. Uh, Brett Michaels. I just had one of my brain hemorrhage brain farts. Oh, Go don't ahead. do that. Say don't that do that. I don't want to be responsible for that. Trust me, it's me. Go okay. ahead. Animal Radio. Brett Michaels Animal Radio. You've got it. I knew the Animal Radio. Like, okay, here we go. Hey, this is Brett Michaels. You're listening to Animal Radio, and take care of your pets. They will rock your world. Start your dog's daily dental routine with Red Barn's new dental treats, Chewables. Thoughtfully designed with ridges and grooves to help control plaque and tartar buildup in between your dog's dental vet visits. Chewables are natural, easily digestible, and your dog will love them. Red Barn Chewables, the tastiest way to brush your dog's teeth. Learn more at redbarn.com today. Use the promo code ANIMALRADIO and you'll get 10% off your purchase. Celebrating the connection with our pets. This is Animal Radio, featuring veterinarian Dr. Debbie White, groomer Joey Villani, news director Lori Brooks. And now, from the Red Barn Studios, here are your hosts, Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. And the studios today are full of germs, I hate to say, because, well, I'm just, we're all sick. We're a little bit under the weather. If you just tuned in, I caught whatever Dr. Debbie had last week. Uh, Judy is on the, the verge of getting it. Joey has it also. Uh, so bear with us today as we struggle along through the show today. Now, I asked Dr. Debbie last hour if my cats could get my sickness because I'm actually, you know, I get pretty close with them. And especially when I'm sick, I'm cuddling with them and they're, they're, they're making me feel better. Yeah, but what about my dog? Can your dog get sick? Apparently not. That's what Dr. Debbie said, but she... No. Yeah, you're, they're not going to catch your cold and your flu. Um, the, only, the only exception um, is uh, ferrets yeah, can that. catch that, yeah. ca- can catch your cold and your flu. So, yeah. That is so and, weird. Uh, Why can ferrets catch a human sickness, but dogs yeah. can't? Their susceptibility to the virus is different. So the human influenza and the cold viruses um, do not have an effect on dogs and cats. So why it isn't ferrets? Um, it just is. That's what I can tell you. Um, but ferrets are fun little critters. You know, they're they're kind of interesting and they're different in their own ways in so many ways. And in veterinary medicine, I can tell you, I see a lot of ferrets. Um, so we see them pretty much every. I shouldn't say every day, but it seems like every day. Um, and in fact, right now I am treating a four-year-old female ferret for cancer. Really? What kind of cancer? She wow. has lymphosarcoma, which um, for those that don't know, lymphosarcoma is a uh, cancer of um, a type of blood cell, and it can have an effect in various parts of the body. So pretty much anywhere from swollen lymph nodes to enlarged organs. It can cause problems in the respiratory tract from the lymph nodes getting enlarged, can affect bone marrow. So it can have a whole wide effect. Um, fortunately, this is a ferret that has a very dutiful mom who we've done a screening testing every year on all of her ferrets and we picked up some early symptoms so um, we are in we started the first 26 week protocol uh, for treating this ferret with uh, chemotherapy and we're doing what's called the Tufts protocol um, which is one of the more common combination therapies and we use about seven different chemotherapy drugs whether they're orals or um, injections Um, and you do this at your office 
Mm-hmm. We sure can. And a lot of places, um, you know, specialty practices that have oncologists will do that. Our local oncologists really care not to see ferrets, which oh, I take offense in that. Yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> we are more than happy to take over this need. And um, so, um, you know, little Autumn is she's doing well. She's had two treatments. Um, so we're she's she's a happy, healthy um, gal right now dealing with a little bit of some blood monitoring on her. But we're getting ready for round three this next week. So we're we're very optimistic and hope we can keep her healthy and put this stuff in remission. You said she was four years old. How long do they live? Ah, good question. Ferrets live about five to seven years. Um, but Ooh. I can tell you, lymphosarcoma has kind of different uh, ways it affects ferrets. So there are some ferrets um, under two years of age that can actually develop a form of lymphosarcoma. And I've seen it, the youngest I've ever diagnosed it in a ferret was a, a ferret of six months of age. Um, so, you know, she kind of falls into that other category. So, you know, she potentially can have, you know, still a decent uh, lifespan. Um, but the reality is this is an aggressive cancer and we're trying to kind of sock this baby into remission and give her some good quality time for whatever that may be. I don't know anybody with a ferret. What is it about ferrets that people who <laughs> have them love? What attracts them to that uh, animal? They're little clowns. Um, they are some of the most entertaining animals. Um, they're bandits. So they really, they like to steal items. Um, they're very playful and, and they do really well when they're housed together. So um, it can be double fun to watch two ferrets run and play <laughs> and scurry about. Um, they're very, you know, good with handling. They're affectionate. You got to get them through their little kit phase where they're nippy when they're just you know a couple months of age but once you get past that um you know they're they're easy to contain when you're not around you have them in a in a a kennel in a cage and um just a lot of fun um i'd have to say people that have ferrets get it until you do um they're one of my favorite animals to treat in the hospital i just um i enjoy them so much but don't they always have that funky smell to them you know, there is a little bit of a uh, aroma they can have, but um, <laughs> most ferret owners I know are very uh, offended by uh, folks that assume that all ferrets stink. So, um, you know, if you're on a regular um, kind of bathing uh, protocol, um, they they can be just wonderful pets, and they really don't have to have an odor. I think those are the animals that really don't get that TLC and maybe get the regular bathing that they deserve. They are when they, when you first get a ferret, they are descented. So that means that they've had their anal sacs removed. Um, so kind of like a dog or a cat that has anal sac problems. If you don't do that to a ferret, it's like having a skunk in your house. So um, they, they are um, descented, you know, before they enter the pet world. Mm. Hal, I'm going to hijack this for just a moment because okay. we've turned into ferret Q and A. Um, how? How do you potty train um, ferrets, or, or do they have a litter box, or what? Do you take them outside. Yeah, you can litter box train them, and there's um, some of the more popular styles are little corner, um, uh, corner litter boxes. So they're kind of like a triangle, and they're usually tethered to the side of the cage. So that makes it a little different because ferrets are, you know, all over the place, rough and tumble, and they knock things over. So you want to make sure you have that kind of thing. And even without that, ferrets have a tendency to use what they call a latrine area. So they tend to repeatedly go to the same area. So that can be very helpful when you have a ferret is once they identify a spot in the cage, you put their litter box in that location and they kind of already have that location kind of picked out. Um, And And they're generally pretty smart about that? 
Yes, they really are. And, you know, it's, you know, I, I see when they enter my office and people let them run around the exam room. Yes, they may urinate and defecate while, when they're running about the room, <laughs> but it's not like, it's not like you're holding like a chicken or a wild bird and all of a sudden craps on you. You know, it's like ferrets, unless you're really kind of ticking them off, um, they're, um, they're really good. <laughs> They are. Uh, ba- I learned a lot. Yeah, they are banned uh, in California and maybe some other states. Why is that? Well, you know, there's there's uh, wild uh, ferrets. You know, the, the wild ferrets that are out there, and I think some of this really started because there was concern that pet ferrets could enter the wild population and they could mate and threaten uh, wildlife. Um, but all ferrets are spayed and neutered before they enter the pet trade. So um, that is is really kind of a re- ridiculous reason that that could happen. So even if a potential individual ferret got loose, it wouldn't be like where we see in California, or I'm sorry, in Florida, where you see these ball pythons that are, you know, getting huge and impacting the wildlife population. They're not going to keep reproducing. They they really don't have that potential any longer. So, um, yeah. So, and, and there's been a lot of push, some, some, like California, there's a lot of people trying to push to not make them illegal because, um, that, that you know it's, it's just a silly argument at this point are they uh what kind of animal are they are they a rodent what are they they're carnivore they are carnivores yeah so they're kind of like a cat kind of like a dog um but they are carnivores so their diet is very much meat based oh. so they they don't do good with things like sweets and carbohydrates um and actually um you know that can cause some problems with blood sugar in these guys so you know we encourage people to feed uh, good quality ferret diets and then there are you know ferret treats that are appropriate staying away from the sweets they they'll eat them and they love them but it's really not healthy for them they'll get fat they get dental disease and have other problems are they nocturnal they are mostly active during the day but it really kind of depends on they will be active at night if you do not interact with them um, so it's just a matter of kind of training them to your timeline and your activities it's ferret talk on animal radio uh, <laughs> i love it so you were <laughs> that's a, that's your ferret imitation yes do that one more time <laughs> oh boy so if I can give my ferret a sickness, a human sickness, can they give me a sickness? Can they give me a cold? You can actually pass your cold back and forth to your ferret, yes. So that is possible. Yeah. Okay. Not that it happens a lot, but um, you know, usually I would like to be on the defense of the animal side. Usually we make ferrets sick. They don't make us sick. So, you know, they're not out running around amongst groups of ferrets out at, uh, you know, the grocery store and catch a cold <laughs> at daycare. Um, it's usually us that brings it home. Okay. It's, uh, if you have a question about your ferret or really any animal, we usually take a phone call right now. We are out of time for this particular break, but we'll go to the phones next. And, of course, we do a check of the news at the bottom of the hour. What do you have coming up, Lori? Well, from ferrets to surprise, we knew people were going to do this when the big Brahma bull showed up at the Petco store. We'll tell you about this really 1,400-pound animal <laughs> that showed up at a Pet Smart this time. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Now an animal radio news brief. A wildlife park in the UK has started banning animal print clothing. 
because zookeepers noticed the fashion choice was starting to confuse the animals. According to the Mirror, the Chessington World of Adventures Resort introduced this zero-tolerance policy, and they've even brought in animal print bouncers to make sure that people don't get in if they're wearing anything patterned like a zebra pattern, giraffe, leopards, tigers, or any other wild animal. No fake fur allowed. Can you imagine what would happen? Officials say they discovered some of the animals were either trying to communicate with people And uh, that's when anybody had an animal print on or they would run away from them in fear. They added the new rules, especially important now that they've introduced a ride that brings guests on and off road safari adventures. What happened to the sense of smell? Animals are usually attracted to smell. Well, maybe a few people don't take a shower. Who knows? This has been an Animal Radio News Brief. Get more at animalradio.pet. Alan Cable, every day across America, people welcome new kids into their homes. Babies. Here's Tanya. I'm on maternity leave for my new puppy. You're on maternity leave because you have a new puppy? Yes. It's a beautiful thing when you have a four-legged child. How come you can't go on maternity leave if you get a new boyfriend? I believe in making sure every man, woman, child, animal has the best chance in life. And by taking maternity leave for my puppy, he is going to be just a great dog. Kind of cool when you think about it. And so for me, investing in this time is investing in a life time of a wonderful pet. But is it really maternity leave? Well, I do get paid vacation, so it's true. It's not traditional maternity leave, but you know, when you have a new puppy, you need to take time off to socialize it. You know, she's got a really good point. Dogs have needs, and if you're going to bring a new one home, you've got to be there to make sure those needs are met. This guy is worth it all. Yes, yes, he gets the best of everything. Because this is my child. This is Animal Radio, baby. Okay, yeah, so puppy pads are convenient, but sometimes they're really gross. That's why Ladybug, the Animal Radio Studio Stunt Dog, uses the Brilliant Pad Self-Cleaning Puppy Pad. It seals away the waste and replaces the dirty pad for us. Brilliant Pad keeps the Animal Radio Studios smelling fresh. In fact, all we have to do is replace the roll once every few weeks. And let me tell you, that's pretty fast and easy to do. I love it, and Ladybug gives it five paws up. You can learn more about this amazing machine over at BrilliantPad.com. Hi, this is Clyde Pierce from HGTV. You're listening to Animal Radio. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. In just a few minutes, we're going to be talking to Deborah Howard. She's the top dog or top cat, whatever you want to call it, over at the Companion Animal Protection Society. And she's trying to get to the bottom of this puppy laundering scheme that's going on in California. What is that about? Well, you have to stick around to find out. That's on the way right here on Animal Radio. Dr. Debbie, will you take a call? Yeah, let's go to it. Amy. Hey, Amy. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you for uh, having me on. (laughs) Where where are you calling from today? Uh, Calling from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Oh, how very beautiful. Are you listening on XM or is it WEEU? What station? Uh, WEEU. I love those guys. They love the animals. (laughs) What's going on? thoughts are on uh, a raw diet for your dog. I was just introduced to this concept by my groomer and just mm-hmm. wanted to see what your thoughts were. Yeah. Now, is it for any particular reason or um, Well, my dog has intrigued? had um, some issues with uh, one ear, not both, um, being uh, a little more red. He'll start to get a little bit of um, buildup in it. I was mm-hmm. using some ointments and treating it that way, and that seemed to always take care of it. Um, mm-hmm. And so she just started talking about a raw diet for, you know, different conditions. And mm-hmm. and I didn't catch. What kind of dog you got? Uh, I have a little Westie, a West Highland Terrier. 
Oh, okay, beautiful. A lot of personality in those little oh, guys. Oh, he's, yes. <laughs> They're fun. But I'll have to say, hearing that piece of information is very different because, yes, they are just horrible with allergies and skin disease in general. Um, and when I look at different breeds, um, I can pretty much count on if I see a Westie and it's coming for anything skin related, we're going to have a very big allergy talk because um, they are just so prone to these problems. And, and it can be just something as simple as having ear infections or maybe an occasional rash um, or just tearing their skin out to, you know, to the bottom of their skin. It, it just varies quite a bit. So as far as, you know, I can't say that I necessarily embrace just a raw diet for this purpose. For me, I kind of go into this long spiel about um, food allergies. And uh, for me, it isn't, I don't treat that necessarily with raw diets. The way I treat that is by limiting uh, the ingredients. And that might be either through a limited ingredient diet. I usually use the prepared commercial ones that are um, in the veterinary grade lines. Um, or I'll use a hydrolyzed uh, protein diet. Those are the, the ways that most veterinarians feel most comfortable with dealing with food allergies. And it's really based on the concepts of how pets respond to food allergens. So just because a food is raw doesn't mean they're not going to be allergic to it. So for me, I'd rather go to more the, the concept level of, of what the problem is. So if a pet's allergic to, say, chicken, obviously we're going to avoid that. But the problem is it's not easy to know what a dog is potentially allergic to. So we have to go on one of these elimination diets. Um, so um, the, the only other problem I'd have to say with, um, you know, doing your own like raw diets, um, you know, there's certainly the foodborne illness concern as, you know, even with commercial food, we were, we're seeing with, um, you know, some of the salmonella concerns and prepared foods. Um, so that is an inherent concern um, I have with those. Um, also, just, uh, you know, some of the different uh, digestive concerns that we have along with that um, nutritional long-term effects with um, a home-prepared diet, um, a little bit variable. So I generally lean more towards the prepared commercial foods. Okay. Um, as far as allergies, would it be, could this be an allergic reaction, even though, or response, even though it's just one ear? It's never Absolutely. Both. You got it. It could be one ear that just kind of chronically has a problem. And um, for some breeds, um, I would say ears and rears for me are number one symptoms of uh, food allergy. So if we have an itchy butt, we have a lot of anal gland problems or we have recurrent ear infections. Those are big reasons to address food allergies. You know, but being a Westie, there's other things we talk about too. And, you know, there's a lot of other opportunities to treat. They commonly also have, um, you know, yeast infections on in the skin. So if you got any other skin symptoms elsewhere, then we might deal with yeah, some of the... So far, he's really been, you know, fine. He's about two and a half and we've had no other problems, no other issues. Mm-hmm. Um, good, he's a good. swimmer. He loves to swim. You think he's part Labrador. <laughs> loves to swim all day long, and we have a pond in our backyard, so he's wet a lot. So I try to dry his ears out, you know, when he's back up out of the water. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't know if that was perhaps an issue as to why the, the ears were giving him a problem. It definitely can contribute. So definitely, if we're swimming regularly, you know, that just kind of. You know, fills that whole ear canal with with water. So yeah, it definitely can be a contributing factor. So I would always make sure that a dog that likes to swim a lot, if we are prone to ear infections, that once we come out of the water and we call it a day, I want to use a nice general ear cleanser. Um, The acidifying ear cleansers, if it has acetic acid, um, salicylic acid, those are going to kind of act like almost like a swimmer's ear for a dog. And we're going to help dry out that ear canal and put that environment so that we hopefully don't have a lot of the bacterial or yeast agents that take advantage. Now the allergy part of things, you know, you may still have a red ear, um, but, you know, hopefully we don't get that infection to settle in there, too. 
Okay. Okay. That's great. Well, very good. Thank you so much for your call, Amy. Right. And Thank you uh, so much for your help. You're welcome. This is Dr. Debbie. The whole crew is sitting here waiting for your call. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Dogs or cats, horse or emu, animals are people too. Some women call men snakes. Others just marry a snake. That's what recently happened in India. A woman fell in love with a snake and married him. Bimbala Das and the snake were wed in a traditional Hindu ceremony attended by 2,000 guests. Bimbala wore a beautiful sari and the snake, who was just wearing his current skin, was afraid to come out of the nearby anthill where he lives. An ornamental brass snake stood in for the shy groom. The bride explained that she and the snake, which happens to be a poisonous cobra, have a special kind of communication. Villagers welcomed the wedding, believing it would bring good luck. I'm glad they left out the you-can-kiss-the-bride part. I'm Britt Savage for Animal Radio. Animals are people too. Animal Radio. Hello, I'm David Bellamy of the Bellamy Brothers, and we're on Animal Radio. Love your animals. All of us here at Fido Friendly Magazine can't wait to get on the road again with our favorite Fido. We know that it's just not a vacation without our furry companions by our side. Start daydreaming now and visit FidoFriendly.com to scout out places near and far so you will be ready for your next adventure once it's safe to travel. That's FidoFriendly.com. Until then, stay safe and leave no dog behind. This is an Animal Radio News Update. I'm Lori Brooks. Well, cats are usually described as aloof, right? But there's some new research out, and you might have seen this research. Uh, let me let me tell you that this research shows that cats actually know their names and recognize their name when we call it. So scientists, through this research, they found out that our feline friends are able to tell their names apart from other words and also have a grasp of words closer to a dog's, they say, than what we think. This study was actually done at Sophia University in Japan, but American cat experts, uh, they're not all that excited about it, nor are they convinced about the findings of that study, saying cats learn their name because it is one of the most common words spoken to them and because they likely associate their name with rewards like food or petting or playtime. The lead author of the research, though, says that it sheds light on the human-cat relationship. However, on the American side, Dr. John Bradshaw, who is an expert on dog and cat behavior at the University of Bristol, is less enthusiastic about this research. He says, in my view, the study doesn't tell us much about the cat-human relationship, merely that cats are capable of learning the significance of particular sounds. And he said, for example... Many of us will shake a cat treat container or rumple the bag that their treats come in to persuade the cat to come into the house or come to them. But according to Dr. Bradshaw, he says that does not demonstrate that cats can understand human language. I'm one of those people that truly believe that cats and many other animals really know a lot more than we give them credit for. And it may not be that they understand language, but as I am sick, I'm watching my cat follow me around the house and spend time with me 
and watch over me. And I've seen this cat do that the same with other cats that have been sick in the the house. And I think there's there's some kind of something that humans just can't put their hands on that these animals are very smart. Intuitive. Yeah. Intuitive. Yeah. They know. Well, you, of course, you've heard, I'm sure, about cats who are always in, not always, but many um, elderly care facilities or long-term care yeah. facilities mm-hmm. have a cat. And that cat will often go to the person who is going to pass away next. Yeah, the death cat. Because they... Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's what they call it, the death cat. Mm-hmm. So are you worried, Hal, <laughs> with this conversation in mind? Maybe your cat does know something, yeah. and we should be very careful. Uh, Dr. You have Debbie, you're always glad. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Debbie's always good to reel us back in. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you didn't hear about this, let me make your day. Hump Day was a few days early at a PetSmart in Michigan recently when the operator of a local petting zoo walked in with his camel named Jeffrey. (laughs) Now, Jeffrey isn't a baby camel, so don't think that this was an easy feat. Jeffrey is 11 years old and weighs 1,400 pounds, and they didn't make the trip just for fun to be on the news or anything. Uh, The owner was actually practicing with Jeffrey, practicing so that he would be riding in a trailer, getting used to that for his needed trips to a weigh station where he can be accurately weighed for health reasons. You said that they weren't doing it for attention, but we should point out that, like, what is not even two weeks ago, someone brought a uh, <laughs> right. cow into a, a pet bull. co. Yeah. Or a bull into a pet co. Yeah. 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 We knew we'd be seeing these kind of stories, but I love them. So I'm Lori Brooks. Get more breaking animal news anytime here at animalradio.com. This has been an Animal Radio News Update. Get more at AnimalRadio.com. Check out Animal Radio Highlights. All the good stuff without the blah, blah, blah. Browse on over to AnimalRadio.net. Animal Radio. And when I told Joey that our next guest was going to be talking about puppy laundering, he said, I got to be in on this, of course. And then I explained to him that it's not <laughs> cleaning your animal that she's talking about. Uh, completely something different. We have joining us right now, Deborah Howard. Uh, she is the president and founder of Companion Animal Protection Society. Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Very well. What is puppy laundering? Well, we don't really call it that. Um, I think it's been called that. What's going on in California is that they passed a law to ban the retail sale of dogs, cats, and rabbits. Yeah, that's happened yeah. a lot of places, by the way. All uh, well, we actually started the whole ordinance movement with our West Hollywood ordinance in 2010. It wasn't the very first. Albuquerque was. It didn't get any attention. And we were protesting elite puppies in West Hollywood, and one of the council members came over. It turned out one of the dogs uh, from the store had been sold to Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> they had a picture of him in there. So West Hollywood, being progressive, um, wanted to do an ordinance. And because it's West Hollywood, it got worldwide attention. And after that, uh, everybody wanted to do ordinances. Everybody was contacting us from all over the country and Canada. And that's what pretty much kicked off the movement that you see now. We went on to do Los Angeles, San Diego, Glendale, South Pasadena, and, you know, ordinances in other parts of the country. And the purpose of that ordinance is basically to get rid of puppy mill dogs. Is that what's happening? 
Right, because, you know, 99% of the dogs in pet shops are coming from uh, puppy mills. And, uh, there's, they, by the way, there's kittens, too. I mean, we've, we've investigated USDA-licensed kitten mills. So this is what, in addition to Internet sales, this is what is supporting the puppy and kitten mill industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so the demand is created because consumers pay a lot of money for these dogs. They don't do their research. It's impulse-driven. There's, there's payment plans. And the, the puppy mills are sending the dogs to the, to the pet shops all over the country and, and Canada included. And so the puppy laundering is really people trying to circumvent these laws, right? Right. And the only place really that it's happening is California because it impacted. There were 32 pet shops that we investigated. And how are they circumventing the law? The, they form fraudulent rescues. Um, there's two of them. There's actually a, a smaller one, a third one, that's in a couple of the pet shops. The two main ones are fronts for dog brokers. One is an actual dog broker in Iowa um, who buys from puppy mills. We investigated her, and we gave it to the Iowa Attorney General last year. She was already giving selling puppies to three pet shops in California. So she started another rescue, and then she puts them through yet another rescue in California that is associated with a pet shop owner. And then the other rescue, um, that those people, the man actually is a sales manager for the Hunt Corporation, which is another large brokerage facility. So the dogs are actually coming from dog brokerage facilities, which obtain their dogs from puppy mills. I have to go into the other room and scream because this is infuriating for those of us who rescue dogs. Sure, sure. Right. You know, my my knowledge of you know pet stores is that you know, a lot of these puppies come at a high dollar right. um, when they're being sold. So how is that still being done and going through these chains? Uh, you know, are the pets still being sold for like a two thousand dollar puppy, or because they're going through rescues? Isn't there an assumption it would be a, a more of an adoption fee and a lower rate? Yeah, absolutely. So the dogs. Um, so we set out to investigate the remaining nineteen pet shops selling puppies in, in the state. Okay. Um, three were selling outright that they bred themselves or from a local breeder. We turned those over to animal control. Sixteen were using these two fraudulent rescues. The dogs are anywhere from 1000 to $6,500. There's bulldogs in there for $6,000. Wow. They, they come with warranty plans because, remember now, there's no lemon law anymore. Okay, California had a lemon law. You're not protected. You get a sick puppy, you're out of luck. So you have to buy a warranty plan. Then you can finance the dog. We had a complaint for a woman who got a dog that had diarrhea, it was 10 pounds underweight. She financed it at 65% a year. So that Labradoodle went from $3,000 to $8,500. Whoa, crazy. And people don't, and you know what, they're thinking, oh my gosh, look, I got, you know, an eight-week, 10-week, 12-week-old purebred designer puppy, and it's a rescue. And of course, if you see our video expose, you'll see they're very unclear about where the dogs come from. Has anyone been indicted yet? No, 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 no. So we have various attorney attorneys generals investigating this. Uh, you know, Iowa is the only one that's formally announced it because we got them involved last year when we started to see it happening in in the pet shop. And this that particular rescue, Hobo Canine, is also selling to places in other states, to um, New Jersey and Chicago. So she's um, she's circumventing the Chicago laws. So um, we've got an, the attorney in general in Illinois involved in that. 
but the main problem is really California because there's so many of them. There's 16 of them. Animal controls only have so much authority. Is there a way to change the law or rewrite it to close Absolutely. this loophole? And we have been asking Senator O'Donnell, who was the sponsor of the original law, to do that. So far, I have not heard back from him. Um, we have extremely compelling evidence. Um, we have a five-minute video expose. We have an investigation of every single store. We have an in-depth investigation report explaining all, all the characters that are involved and, and how they've registered their, their rescues and so on and so forth. And um, there's a very easy way to close this loophole. And I don't know what the holdup is. Um, Massachusetts specifically says the pet shop cannot have a monetary or ownership interest in the animals. They cannot benefit from financially from the adoption piece. Use that language, and that completely closes out this loophole. If had they done that in the first place, this whole thing could have been avoided. Mm. And I encourage anybody that's going out and looking for an animal that you don't get them from the pet shop anyway. Go directly to the rescue right. and, and see what's going on there and, and make sure that it is indeed a rescue. What is the website if people want to learn more? Uh, it's caps-web.org, C-A-P-S hyphen W-E-B dot O-R-G. Deborah Howard, the president and founder of CAPS, the Companion Animal Protection Society. Thank you so much for your vigilance and taking the lead on this. Thank you. Thank you very much. This is Animal Radio, baby. The old way of living with diabetes is a pain. You've got to remember to do your testing, and you always need to be sticking your fingers. The new way to live your life with diabetes is with a continuous glucose monitor. You simply apply a discreet, easy-to-use sensor on your body, and it continuously monitors your glucose levels, helping you spend more time in range and freeing you from painful finger pricks. If you test your blood sugar at least four times per day and inject insulin at least three times per day or use an insulin pump and have private insurance or Medicare, you might be eligible for a CGM with little or no cost to you. Call U.S. Medical Supply today for a free benefits check. We offer free shipping, 90-day supplies, and we bill Medicare or your insurance directly. Call now and say goodbye to finger pricks. 800-785-1673. 800-785-1673. That's 800-785-1673. He said, we're all across the USA, the most listened to pet show today. Animal Radio, we're everywhere you go. Animal Radio. Animal Radio. Live at the Red Barn Studios, you're listening to Animal Radio. Here's Hal and Judy. Will you take another one, Dr. Debbie? I am. I'm ready. Let's do it. Which one? Line two. We have Randy. Hey, Randy. Welcome to the show. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Doing good. Where are you good. calling from? Well, I am uh, going eastbound on Interstate 80 through Nebraska. Wow. OTR? Uh, yes, sir. Okay. Please don't call me, sir. That's my dad. <laughs> I have I have Dr. Debbie right here. She can help you. What's going on with your animal? Hi, Dr. Debbie. What you got going on there? Well, I was just wondering, you know, uh, I have a little corgi, a, a cardigan corgi, and uh, we go to some pretty strange areas. Uh, we go off out in the boonies all the time, and I'm constantly worried about, you know, scorpions and snakes and stuff like that. What kind of first aid should I have going? What kind of a, 
you know, if she was to get hit by a, a snake, mm-hmm. what should I do? Good question. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think every pet owner, especially if you travel, should have some form of a basic um, first aid kit. And that is going to be mimicking very much what you would have in your human first aid kit, but with some additions. And, and the things that I want to always make sure in a pet first aid kit we have um, are... Um, not just things like nail trimmers, but also the styptic solution because broken toenails come up all the time. Uh, I see it at animal events that I go to attend, um, tweezers to pull things out. When we're talking about things like rattlesnakes, the, the truly the best thing, the best first aid tip with a rattlesnake bite is your car keys. That is the best thing that you can provide for your pet is to get them in the vehicle and get them to a veterinarian right away. There is nothing, absolutely nothing that you can do in the field that's going to increase their survival better than seeing a veterinarian as fast as you can. That being said, all those kind of things out there that people tell you to do for rattlesnake bites, you know, we don't want to do most of those things. Um, so yeah, all those things that you hear about cutting it, sucking the venom out, um, you know, putting a tourniquet on it, putting ice on it, all of those are completely wrong. Um, they will actually increase the rate of the venom, um, affecting the animal. So what you want to do is keep the pet calm. You want to keep the bite area, whatever part of the body has been bitten, keep it below the heart level. That slows the rate that the venom reaches uh, the rest of the pet. Um, and maybe within that first aid kit, you can have some Benadryl. It, it won't hurt in the event of a, a snake bite, but it's certainly not going to be the cure-all that's going to really save them. Uh, prompt veterinary attention is really the best thing for any of these snake bites, and which can be trouble. You know, if you're traveling, I don't know if you're out in some of these remote areas, um, but but uh, that's unfortunately is a, maybe a good directory to veterinarians in the areas that you are traveling through for emergency centers would also be a good thing to have some points along the road that you know you can contact day or night um, a veterinary service. Oh, okay. So uh, keep keep the, uh, the the bite below their heart and uh, just just fast as you can go get get someplace. I knew I knew that cutting it all that stuff was. Uh, uh, bogus, but I thought perhaps a tourniquet, but I don't know, you know, you, you can over yeah. a tourniquet. They don't even recommend tourniquets on people hardly anymore. Exactly. And what the problem is with the tourniquet is that, you know, it, while it may keep that venom in that area, it actually can enhance the tissue effects of the venom in that particular area. So it can make it much worse. Um, so that's really why we don't want to do that. And, you know, there is a, you know, rattlesnake vaccine out there, um, for pets that are maybe in higher, uh, risk, uh, lifestyles and areas. It's, you know, it's still out there a little bit in the veterinary community, whether or not it truly helps, um, the survival after a snake bite um, because we do occasionally see pets that have had the rattlesnake vaccine that still don't always make it from a rattlesnake bite so um, it's definitely not a hundred percent but that might be even one thing to consider if uh, you know if your doggy is in those kind of high risk areas and you want to do what you can to try to try to help them out is there a uh, uh, some sort of a time table that you could give me you know i mean like how fast to get to the vet 
how fast to get as fast as you as fast as you can. We knew that use of the anti-venin um, that we use to help counter the reaction to snake bites that ideally ought to be um, administered within four hours. But truly, within the first thirty minutes to an hour is really we're talking get to the vet as quickly as you can. Um, so we don't really want to even put a timeline on it. It is that imperative to speed counts <laughs> but don't tell the trooper i said that <laughs> thanks randy for your call good question we don't uh we don't often hear people preparing or being preventative in their care for their animals they usually call when something's already happened and so it's good to know ahead of time if your animal gets bit by a snake now you're out there in the desert so you probably have all these scorpions and snakes and all that stuff. You probably see that a lot at your practice in Las Vegas. Yeah, we sure do. Um, scorpions. Gosh, I just killed one the other day in our house. Well, I didn't. You know, someone, uh, my husband did. But husband. It, it, it was big, ugly, and very scary looking. You know, if you get those things moving with your tail gets going rattling back and forth, it's it's pretty frightening. It makes my hair go up on my, my body. <laughs> Once again, it has flown by. Thank you so much for joining us today. Remember, if you need to get your fix of Animal Radio, it's so easy to do. Just head on over to animalradio.pet or download the Animal Radio app for iPhone, Android, and BlackBerry. I'm going to go hit the NyQuil. You guys are going to go walk the dogs. Have yourself a great week. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. And I think you should do the ferret noise again, Judy. This is Animal Radio Network.